text for this afternoon's sermon is Hebrews 12, the first three verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, currently we are in the midst of the National Hockey League playoffs. Now, I know that some of you don't care and that others have tuned out because their favorite team is not in contention. Yet many consider winning the Stanley Cup one of the pinnacles of success in the sporting world. After qualifying for the playoffs, you need to win 16 games to to claim the prize. It is a grueling process. It tests not only a team's skill, but also their endurance, their mental strength, and their will to win. Our society is not the first to be crazy about sports. So were the Greeks. The first Olympics were held in the summer of 776 before Christ at Olympia in southern Greece. In time, huge amphitheaters were built throughout the empire so that the nobility could amuse themselves with various sporting events. They included running events, the discus and javelin throws, boxing, wrestling, and various equestrian events. Because of this, various Bible writers used the example of competing in the games to encourage us to persevere in the faith, and so attain the prize. For example, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul asked the question, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? He encourages us to run in such a way as to obtain the prize. Paul writes, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it, to attain a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul makes it clear. We have a goal. We need to live disciplined lives to achieve it. In our text, the letter to the Hebrews compares our life to the running of a race. He knows that his audience is aware of what's going on in the world around them. And so he takes this example from daily life to teach them a spiritual truth. 
Use the example of running a race to encourage us to remain steadfast in our relationship with the Lord. This message is applicable to our young people who will be making profession of their faith this afternoon. It's also an encouragement to all of us, no matter what our circumstances, to continue to persevere in our faith. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Run the race that is set before you by keeping your eyes fixed on your Savior, Jesus Christ. We'll see what it means to run the race, how we are to run the race, and the results of running the race. The writer of Hebrews compares our lives with the running of a long-distance race. Now, he's not talking about a 100-yard sprint. It's finished in 10 or so seconds. Or even about a 1,500-meter race that good runners can finish in about three and a half to four minutes. No, the writer of the Hebrews is talking about running a marathon. The type of race he's speaking about is a long-distance endurance race. Something that takes stamina, that requires perseverance. In our text, he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Consider for a moment, beloved, what happens when you're involved in an endurance race. Today, one of the most popular endurance races in the world is the marathon. It's a race of just over 42 kilometers. The top 5% of runners will finish this race in under three hours. Most runners will take five or six to run a marathon. People are generally given eight hours to finish the race. Beyond marathons, there are people who run ultra-marathons, 50 or 100 kilometers. Some run 50 or 100 miles. Just imagine what running any kind of marathon involves, beloved. Just finishing a race like this is a major accomplishment. Step by step, one foot in front of the other, for kilometer after kilometer. Most marathons are not run on flat terrain. You run downhills, but you also have to run up them. It is extremely taxing on your body. Just think of your lungs gasping for air, of your legs turning rubbery, of your brain telling you, just stop. To run such a race involves not just physical stamina, but also mental determination. And yet, many persevere, and they finish the race. Life is often like a long-distance endurance race. It's not always smooth going. We're not always on a downward slope with the wind at our back. There's times in life when we're faced with great disappointments, when we need to overcome major setbacks. As we travel through life, we can be confronted with financial worries, with struggles in our physical or our mental health, with relationship difficulties, with other setbacks. 
We're living in a society that's increasingly anti-Christian, which discriminates against those who do not agree with its agenda. Each of us will face times in life when it's not easy to continue in the faith. And so to encourage us in running the race, the writer of Hebrews points to the spectators surrounding us. You can imagine an amphitheater or a stadium filled with thousands of cheering fans screaming out their support and their encouragement for their favorite athletes. Most marathons have thousands of spectators lined up along the route who come to cheer on those running the race. The writer of Hebrews calls these spectators a great cloud of witnesses. This great cloud of witnesses is a reference to all those people mentioned in Hebrews 11. It's a reference to Abel, Enoch, and and, and Noah, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the judges and the kings and the prophets. It's a reference to all those who lived by faith. Yet the writer of Hebrews does not consider these as dead men to be remembered, but as living witnesses to be heard. What he said of Abel applies to them all. Through his faith, though he died, yet he still lives. The great cloud of witnesses is our cheering section. We need to pay attention to their testimony, to heed the encouragement that they give us. Abel brought to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. He offered a firstborn of the flock, a sacrifice which involved the shedding of blood. His offering pointed forward to Christ's sacrifice of his blood on the cross. Reminds us of how Christ's sacrifice is the only ground for our salvation. Our lives need to be focused on Christ for us to live God-pleasing lives. Noah was warned by God of a coming flood which would destroy all living things from the earth. He was given a command to build an ark through which his household would be saved. God spoke these words to him about 120 years before the flood came. Never before had there been such a flood, nor a vessel the size God commanded Noah to build. Yet Noah's faith is clear in his deeds. He built the ark, despite the scorn of all those around him. He reminds us that God's plans and purposes are often very different from things favored by our culture. Noah reminds us that being faithful is much more important than being popular. Abraham was given tremendously rich promises by God. The Lord promised to make him into a great nation and to give him and his offspring the land of Canaan as his own inheritance. But he didn't even have any children. Finally, after waiting some 35 years, 
he and his wife were granted a son, Isaac. But then God commanded him to offer up his son on the altar. Abraham had to walk step by step on that journey to Mount Moriah with his young son cheerfully walking beside him. Abraham built an altar. He put wood on it. He bound Isaac and laid him on the wood. He raised up his knife to kill his son because that's what God commanded. Abraham didn't know that God would spare Isaac at the last moment, but he believed that if necessary, God could even raise him from the dead. Like Abraham, we need to be willing to give up what's most precious to us in the service of our God. Abel and Noah and Abraham all died, along with all the other spectators mentioned in Hebrews 11. If their words and their deeds have been recorded in the Bible as witnesses for us, they're witnesses of how people lived out of faith in the promises of God. Despite many struggles and much persecution, they persevered to the end. Through the Bible, their voices cheer us on in the race that's set before us. After reminding us of the great cloud of witnesses cheering us on, the writer of Hebrews refers to another element of running a race. When runners run a race, they make sure that they're running light. Running a race wearing jeans and a leather jacket with heavy work boots on your feet is not a smart thing to do. Runners refuse to carry anything with them that might slow them down. Normally they dress in light clothes and they wear light sneakers. So the writer of Hebrews says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us. The writer of Hebrews makes a distinction between weight and sin. We need to lay aside things that hinder us in the service of God. Perhaps that involves different things, different aspects of your lifestyle. Many Christians today have bought into the entertainment culture, spending vast amounts of time watching movies, surfing, social media, and gaming. We need to ask ourselves, is this helping me, or is this hindering me spiritually? Do I spend enough time in God's Word, learning to know the Lord and His mighty deeds, and how He wants me to serve Him? We need to learn to be good stewards of our time and talents, using them to glorify God and to serve our neighbor. Other things which are not wrong in and of themselves can also be hindrances in running the race of faith. Our career ambitions, our associations and friendships, our habits and our preoccupations 
can all distract us from what's most important in life. They can get in the way of Bible study, of fellowship with God's people, the busyness of our lives, the cares and concerns of life. All these things can cause us to lose sight of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Besides this, sin can ensnare us. While hindrances may weigh us down, sin entangles our feet. It can cause us to fall. When running a race, falling hurts. It may injure you so you cannot get up again. So we cannot finish the race. You need to be aware, young people, that the devil's not at all pleased on a day like this. When you commit your hearts and lives to the Lord, he is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan will do whatever he can to get his hooks into us, to distract us and turn us away to make us feel dissatisfied with the life God has given us. He entices us with the things of this world, with things that appeal to our sinful nature. Society teaches us that stuff will make us happy. It teaches us to find satisfaction in money and all the good things it can buy. Our culture preaches that you can do whatever you want that makes you happy, especially in the fulfillment of your sexual desires. We're living in a world where it's so easy to form attachments with people online. And for those relationships to develop, even though they're with people who don't share our faith, Satan's going to try and do everything he can to entangle us, to make us fall. He doesn't want us running the race. His goal is to turn us away from the faith. And therefore, the writer of Hebrews exhorts us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles We need to do away with all distractions and hindrances that pull us away from the service of the Lord. We need to repent from all those sins that create a barrier between us and our God. For otherwise, how are we to finish the course set before us? Brings us to our second point, and we'll see how we are to run the race. One of the things about running a cross-country race is that it covers different kinds of terrain. An example, I like to use the Boston Marathon, very well-known marathon here in North America. The route followed by those running this race includes easier sections and also more difficult ones. One of the things that makes this marathon a difficult race to complete is the obstacle facing runners when they've run about 33 of the 42 kilometers of the race. Just as they're reaching the point of exhaustion, they face this long, steep hill. It's about half a mile. It's called Heartbreak Hill. It breaks the hearts of many of the contestants, prevents them from finishing the race set before them. Now, that's what the Hebrews faced. 
The reason that the writer of Hebrews spoke the words of our text was because they were about ready to give up. In chapter 10, verse 32, we're told that in earlier days, the Hebrews endured a hard struggle with sufferings. They were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. They had been imprisoned. They had joyfully accepted having their property confiscated. Then the writer of Hebrews encouraged them, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. He told them, You have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. The writer to the Hebrews gives us a picture of people who've made it through some really tough times but are now faced with another great trial. Beloved, in the walk of faith, there's times when we too reach heartbreak hill. Often we're enabled to cope with many of the things that the Lord puts on our pathway in life. We struggle through many of the hills that face us. We make it through financial hardship. We're able to deal with times of sickness. Times of grief and sorrow are tempered by times of joy and happiness. God gives the strength to go on. And then suddenly we're faced with something in life that causes us to feel like we cannot go on any further. We're faced with that huge mountain. We feel like we cannot climb. How then are we supposed to persevere? How do you move forward in such circumstances? Well, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews tells us how. The only way to endure is to look to Jesus, to fix our eyes on the only Savior. It's by holding fast our faith in Christ that we're able to persevere. There is no other way. But how do we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering? By focusing on all the mighty deeds that Jesus Christ has done for us. While in verse 1 of our text, we read of a course that was marked out for us. Verse 2 speaks about the course that was set before Christ. He had to endure the cross, despising the shame, before he was allowed to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, too, had to run the race that was set before him. The race he had to run was so much more difficult than ours. For Jesus had to complete the course set before him to obtain the joy God planned for him. Jesus had to obediently walk that pathway of suffering. It included standing alone during his trial before the high priest and before Pontius Pilate. It involved bearing the wrath of God 
at Golgotha. In his suffering, Jesus vividly demonstrated his faith in God. He continued on the course set out for him, even though it meant he had to endure the anguish of death on the cross. The Jews who demanded Jesus' crucifixion wanted to place him under the curse of God. They knew that God said that any man who hung on a tree was cursed. They wanted Jesus to experience the utmost shame. And yet our text tells us that Jesus scorned the shame. He willingly took the curse that lay on us onto himself. He did so to set us free. So sin and Satan would no longer have any claim on us. Jesus suffered the wrath of God to restore us to life with him. Our text mentions one other significant fact about our Lord Jesus Christ. It says that he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When we focus our eyes on our Savior, we not only see him as someone who was crucified and put to death for our sins, we also see him as our risen and ascended king, seated on the throne at God's right hand. The reason we are to fix our eyes on Jesus is because he is our Lord. Jesus exercises his sovereignty over all the earth. He's ultimately in complete control of all that happens in our lives. The fact that Jesus rules is of great comfort for us. For he will grant us the assistance that we need to run the race set before us. And so as we go through life, we need to keep our eyes focused on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 6, verse 20 teaches us that as our forerunner, he has entered the heavenly sanctuary. Hebrews 10, 20 says that Jesus opened a new and living way for us, a way that leads to heaven. The way to get there is through faith and the promises of God. We need to hold fast our confidence in Jesus Christ, to depend on him for everything we need in life. That's how we are to run the race. For it's only by fixing our eyes on the Lord Jesus that we'll be able to endure. It brings us to our final point, the results of running the race. When athletes compete in a race, they do so with a specific goal. It's to finish the race, to win the prize. In hockey, athletes compete to win the Stanley Cup. In the Olympics, athletes win medals, gold, silver, and bronze. It's fun watching the emotions people experience when they win. After so many years of tough training, of disciplined living, of exhausting competitions, they finally reach the podium. Their joy is great. 
You see their beaming smiles. You hear their ecstatic cheers. Finally, they've achieved their dream. Well, beloved, the prize that we're running for is far greater than a medal or a cup. Things that can get tarnished or be stolen. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul assures us of the blessings that await those who hold fast their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to the end. Our Lord has promised the crown of life to those who fight the good fight, who finish the race, who keep the faith. There is a great prize awaiting all who complete the race. Everlasting life. Now, just like Jesus, we need to walk the pathway of suffering before we inherit the glory he has promised. But thus, the writer of Hebrews offers this encouragement. He says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We need to look carefully at the life of Jesus. Consider all that he had to endure. Jesus ran much of his race alone, without spectators to cheer him on. Even those who were close to him turned against him. His own disciples betrayed him and abandoned him. Even his heavenly father forsook him during the hours of darkness on the cross. One of the problems that we often face in running the race of faith is that we try to make it on our own. But long-distance competitors know it's better to run in a group. Bike racers take turns leading to break the wind. In running the race of faith, you don't need to run alone. When you do that, you often get discouraged. You lose heart. Your problems overwhelm you. They cause you to lose perspective. We're privileged to be part of a communion of saints. Young people, you may not always be aware, but your parents and your grandparents offer up many prayers before God's throne of grace on your behalf. We have families and friends who run the race of faith with us, supporting us and encouraging us along the way. We have brothers and sisters in the faith, teachers, elders, pastors, to encourage us, to guide us on the right pathway. They're all cheering us on toward the finish line. They want you to share in the blessings that come from enduring in the faith, from completing the race set before you. Above all else, we have Christ, our Savior. By seeing the suffering Christ endured, we receive the strength we need to endure all God puts on our pathway and then instead of being weary and discouraged, we take heart. We press on to the goal set before us, knowing Jesus Christ and his sacrificial love 
puts the struggles of life into perspective. When our eyes are focused on Christ, we receive the strength we need to live for Him. Beloved, running the race marked out for us is not all uphill. It's not always against the wind. God grants His children so many rich blessings. He makes wondrous provision for our needs. A life in Christ's service is not a life of drudgery. Being a Christian is a joyful activity. We go forward from day to day secure in the knowledge we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He's there to help us when the going gets tough. He coaches us with his word. He helps us with his spirit. He gives strength to go on. When we depend on him to provide us with everything we need to persevere in the faith. Therefore, Alexis, Kiana, Jennifer, Mallory, and Winston, keep on running. Even when you're discouraged, even when you face heartbreak hill, don't give up. For the sufferings of this age are not worth comparing with the glory of the age to come. Believe that just as God has started his work in you, so he will also bring it to completion. If you run the race with your eyes fixed on Jesus, trusting in him, you will be able to finish it. Then the crown of life the Lord has promised you will be yours. You'll be allowed to share in eternal joy and glory with God and with all his people forevermore. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together from hymn 43. Hymn 43 puts our text to music. We sing about the race and about fixing our eyes on Jesus, about receiving strength in him to go forward. All stanzas. <laughs> 